Welcome to Louise's Health Kick podcast with Louise Mercier. Louise is a nutritional therapist, award-winning author of How Food Shapes Your Child, and a presenter on Early Years TV Food Channel. As well as all this, Louise is the force behind the Health Kick, promoting a healthy lifestyle without the contradictory and often misplaced advice in the world of nutrition. In this episode, we continue with our sleep series. This time we look at lying awake at night and how these late night thoughts impact on our health. So this is the second in the sleep series, which is um, an information series to look at the holistic impact of health. Um, and I'm Louise, um, and I'm all about making sure that the health side of it is fully holistic. So I, I am a nutritional therapist, but I don't just talk about the food that we eat. I talk about everything else that goes on with our health. And one of the biggest factors and in influencing factors in our health is how well we actually sleep. Now, and last week we looked at the, the reasons why that is. So what do we do when we sleep? What does the body do that it can only do when we sleep? So if we're not sleeping very well, we have a disturbed sleep, which takes us a long time to get to sleep. What's the body not able to do as well as it would do if we were having long periods of the restorative sleep? And, and last week we looked at the different stages of sleep within the sleep cycle, because being human, we're very complicated and we don't just go to sleep and that's that we we go to sleep but we sleep in waves and cycles and those waves and cycles are when different things happen in the body so last week we looked at the just introduction of why we sleep and what's healthy about sleep and what's quite unhealthy when we don't sleep as well in particular i wanted to look at what might stop you from going to sleep now often that's what's going on in our mind so what are we lying awake thinking about and that's often the thoughts that keep us awake lying at night so so why do we lie awake at night why why can we sometimes not get to sleep when we all know that we need to sleep and we may know that we don't feel so good when we don't have a good night's sleep and we may know that what's going to happen the next day is not going to be as effective or as productive or we're not going to feel as as good about the day if we've not had a good night's sleep so we know all these things so why is it that we lie awake at night sometimes well if we look at the things that can help us in the fire space so we touched on these last week but there are some before we get to the stage of head on the pillow, thoughts active and wide awake, there are some things that we can do to help our body fall into its own natural sink of its sleep-wake cycle. And that enables the body to, what it does very well naturally, we can suppress very well artificially as well. So we can we can try to make ourselves feel awake when we're actually very sleepy, physically and mentally. We can keep plodding on, you know, as, as we do. Um, trying to keep things done, another cup of coffee and I'll just get this finished or another half an hour and I'll have this done and it will ease the workload tomorrow. Whereas in, in reality, it just means there's something else that fills the gap tomorrow and there's something else that is the same, that something else comes in and we're never fully on top of things. So is having that extra half hour of enforced productivity more beneficial than helping the body to go into a relaxed state that may make you have a better sleep that may make you more physically and mentally alert and more prepared the following day. So preparing our bedtime routines and behaviours, we do it for children. We set up a bedside routine when we have children, particularly babies. We make sure that everything's calm and tranquil. I think we touched on this a bit last week. We make sure everything is very sleepy. We talk in hushed voices, we're very calm. We keep everything nice and sleepy. 
And why don't we do that for ourselves so much? We can expect to go from something very buzzy to, right, that's it. Um, it's, it's too late. That's it. I need to go to sleep now. The body doesn't quite respond to that. The body kind of needs a bit of time to fall into its sink of the circadian rhythm where it can actually feel, oh, yes, now is sleepy time. So having a bedtime routine, don't have to think of it as, as a child, create your own. It doesn't have to be a glass of milk and a warm bath, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what, what, what it is. When we look at the nutritional considerations of sleep next week, I will be talking about a glass of milk before bed. Um, but a bedtime routine that works for you is basically anything that takes you as a transition. So the transition from what? is potentially going to keep your active thoughts awake and we'll come on more to those in a moment. So transition from daytime waking active thoughts to relaxation. We cannot just, I can't click my fingers, I'm physically incapable. If I was able to click my fingers, I would be clicking them right now. But what enables us to transition from I am really alert to I am really quite winding down and relaxed now. It needs to be gradual. It cannot just be like that. We may sometimes be so tired that we will just slump, you know, sit down on the sofa and you fall asleep. That's fine, but it's not where you're going to spend the night. So it's not your natural bedtime is not your natural sleeping place if you do fall asleep on the sofa you tend to wake up a bit like the hunchback of Notre Dame in a few hours time cold and shivering and crooked so it's not ideal and um, so bedtime routine and establishing a bedtime routine that works for you is really important lights are really important as well and by lights I do mean of course sort of ambient lighting but also screens and one of the worst things we can do when we're trying to be relaxed and sleepy is to be around screens. They emit blue light. They emit light that suppresses melatonin. Melatonin is the hormone that makes us sleepy and ready for relaxation and therefore ready for a good night's sleep. So if we suppress that, the body's thinking, right, time to be alert. Wait, what with the mind particularly? Time to be alert and awake and think about things and do things and blah, 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 blah. But probably not in a very coherent and cognitive clarity. That doesn't make sense, does it? Cog with, with any form of cognitive clarity because... We're really tired, but we're working against being really tired. So screen time and blue lights are really bad when you're trying to be relaxed and sleepy. And yet how many times do people scroll around on social media, actually in bed scrolling through social media? So lights and screen time are kind of sort of the same. Lights, making sure you have a nice ambient lighting and a you know, relaxing atmosphere. Candles are great for that, especially in the winter when you can just close everybody out and put some candles on and be nice and cosy. Um, but lights and screen time do different things with the same sort of emphasis. Screen screen time emits the blue light, which presses melatonin. Screen time, when it comes to thoughts, can also be incredibly damaging. So if we consider scrolling through social media, you're bound to see some news, you're bound to see something that upsets you, you're bound to see something that makes you think, oh, really? Or some, some, somebody's done something that you think, oh, it is bound to annoy you. It always does. The, the, the true nature of social media is that's incredibly irritating. So if you are scrolling around on something, you're going to see something that fires something up, reminds you of something or triggers something. And it's going to set those thoughts going. You could just see some news and it could trigger a fear and anxiety or just the reality of the world we live in. It's sometimes so depressing and distressing that we don't want to be aware of it, particularly before we're trying to go to a relaxed state and go to sleep. So being mindful of those things that there's two things to the screen. One is the light is going to artificially keep you awake and two, what you're seeing is potentially going to alter your, your active thoughts, which we all 
Chan in a moment. Nutritional influence is more of this next week, but the food you eat do have an effect on how well you can transition into the sleep or wake cycle of the circadian rhythm. Caffeine and alcohol are the obvious culprits. The coffee, um, caffeine, I say coffee because it's more has more caffeine in it than tea. But that does stay in your system for much longer than people think. It does vary from individuals, depends on the size and shape of you and your individual tolerance to caffeine, but it can stay in for up to six hours. And so we all should have our own sort of time scale when we think that's my last cup of coffee of the day. And we kind of know why that is, because it will stay in our system. If we're sitting there at 10 o'clock at night trying to write something or work on something and we're swigging away the coffee, kind of know you're not going to have a very good night's sleep so caffeine and alcohol are the obvious we often turn to a glass of wine or whatever your nipple is and something to help us to relax is to help us to unwind it can become habitual it can become something that we just do habitually to wind down and that's fine um but don't expect it to really help you get to sleep it may help you in the first instance as in to feel more relaxed and to feel a bit more full, but it won't help you have a good quality sleep. And we talked last week about what happens to the body biologically in the different stages of sleep and how that's when the repair and restoration takes place. Also consider the room temperature. Is it too warm? Is it too cold? If you share a room with somebody, often you can differ on this. <laughs> so it can often be that one person likes it a bit warmer than the other. One person likes to have a window open, the other doesn't. So it can it can be an individual preference, which if you share can sometimes be a cause of conflict. But the room temperature does have a bearing as well on how well your body feels ready to go into sleep. But if you've done all of that, if you do all of that and I still can't get to sleep, if you have a good bedtime routine, if you do watch what you eat, if you think yeah, I'm, I'm doing all of that and I'm still lying awake at night. So if that's the case, it could be that your thoughts are keeping you awake, lying at night with thoughts going around in your head. And as you know, that's not particularly helpful. Ants. No, I'm not going completely mad. Ants. <laughs> Ants are what, what we call automatic ne- negative thoughts. And the reason why they're called ants is simply an acronym, but they also like ants, the insect, which we'll we'll come on to in a moment. If you have a lot of automatic negative thoughts, so if if your thought process, and can explain it better, come back to explain it better here. When ants take root in your thought process, they become habitual and it's as if your default thought process is negative. We'll touch more on that later. I just wanted to get to that. If that happens through the daytime, if your thought process is negative, if you are constantly thinking the worst, fearing the worst, thinking I can't do that, that's not, no, I won't be able to do that, this is going to go wrong tomorrow, I'm, going to, I'm not going to miss the alarm, I'm not going to get it. If you're having all those sorts of negative thoughts through the day and leading up to bedtime, of course, when your mind is is not buzzing around doing all the daytime things that we do like physically moving making dinner working driving doing all those things so that our our brain is busy as soon as we get to bed even if we followed those bedtime rituals if we have all these automatic negative thoughts or ants buzzing around in our system if we have all of those inside us and we put our head on the pillow and our brain is suddenly idle because it's not doing everything else, then the thoughts can come flooding back to our consciousness and obviously keep us awake because we're lying there thinking about these things. These are some examples of when you, if you, if your internal voice tends to be very much in this voice, 
we need to look at sort of rebooting the automatic negative thoughts into what I like to, what I want to call them pants, but there's no end in it, positive automatic thoughts. There's no end. It just sounds better if we say we'll change ants to pants, but there's no end. So they can become a way of thinking and the internal voice can become very negative. We don't even realize that we're doing this. Some people are very outwardly negative and you know, comedians are often you know, caricatures of this negativity, but lots of people don't realize that this is actually how they talk to themselves. I can't cope with this. I'm going to mess this up. This won't work for me. Very much a negative internal voice, but just one that comes, again, I can't click the fingers, one that comes naturally. It flows. It's just habitual. Habitual automatic negative thoughts. They're like ants. Once you have one, another joins it, and another, and another, and another, until that is the default thought process. And when you're lying awake at night with all these negative thoughts going around in your head, it's very difficult to think of anything constructive to sort of think, well, what's going to happen tomorrow, or this went wrong today. And lying in bed at night is obviously not the place where you can do anything about it. And so at the moment, one of the reasons why the Healthy Healthy Business Programme is around is because we're all living through a period of really heightened stress. Um, no matter how well you've gone through the various lockdowns, everybody has had a heightened state of anxiety and it will and it does take a physical toll on your health. It, it will. We can also, we've had a wonderful experience, but still the scale of what the world has been going through has an impact on you. So if you are if you are like everybody else, seeing the sort of the world around you and what our brain does when we see anything negative is it creates the worst case scenario. So our brain is in a defense mechanism. It's not doing it to be negative. It does it to protect us. So our brain sees a scenario, figures out the worst possible case scenario and plays that out in our mind. It's then up to us to be, well, that's not really likely to happen or that's out of my control and to, to work down that negative thought and to rationalize with our primal brain and say, well, I, I'm, you know, I can, I can, I can see the bigger picture here and I can see that my role in this is this. I can't control that. I can control this and to work things out. But if we have automatic negative thoughts, consider that brain every time it sees something that is a trigger for that primal, I've got to stop clicking the fingers, I can't do it, a trigger for that primal defense mechanism of creating the worst case scenario, your automatic negative thoughts are going to continually flow because you're continually seeing the worst case scenario and they're going to really take root, but you're going to see every situation as rather than a potential opportunity as a potential setback. And with these restrictions lifting and dates coming in and things being able to reopen everyone's feeling fairly positive and that's marvelous and great and things are going upward well at the moment but we all have got to remember that this is transient and if things change that are outside of our control how do we then cope with that like last year when we were going in and out and into tears etc how do we then cope when things are beyond our control, does that internal voice start to say, well, that's that then. Why did I bother doing all of that? Or does that internal voice see something more positive and different and contextualize the situation? And those daytime thoughts, whilst they, they may seem, why are we talking about how you think during the day? They are fundamental to your nighttime thoughts and you lying awake at night. If you can clear your daytime thoughts, and reprocess and reformat those daytime automatic negative thoughts to put a more positive spin on them. So 
So if you go back to positive here, to retrain those thoughts into a more positive spin, then when they pop into your head, when you're lying in bed, when you go to bed and your brain is suddenly idle, you don't dwell on everything because those automatic negative thoughts pop in, but your reprogramming of those thoughts enables you to contextualize and to say, well, that did happen today and that was really bad, but I did the best I could. And this might have an impact and this is going to have a huge impact, but I'll do what I can or to work with it, to reprocess something. And the more you reprocess and the more you squash, I don't like squashing insects, I don't mean squash them, but the more you squash those automatic negative thoughts, the less habitual they become. So they don't automatically see a situation, it doesn't automatically come up with, oh, that's bad, this, is, this isn't going to work. It turns into, oh, that's a blow. What can we do about it? But it starts to change and it starts to change automatically so that your automatic thoughts are no longer negative, but they become positive automatic thoughts. And that isn't easy. And nobody's saying that that is easy. Nobody can retrain neural pathways overnight, but it is possible. We have to consciously think about our thoughts to retrain from the negative to the positive, but we need to do it every time we hear, I can't do that, or I won't do that, it won't work, or this is really bad. We need to just take a moment and reframe it every time it happens in the daytime. And believe me, that will help when it comes to nighttime negative thoughts. So how do our thought stoppers from sleeping? Our brain is much more idle as we lay down in bed than it has been during the day. It's not processing everything around us. It's not having to. So it can sit there and it can suddenly become idle. And when it's idle, in can come the negative thoughts. Now, if you've had the negative thoughts in the day and you've reframed them as positives, they will still come. And in your tired and lethargic state, they may try to be negative again when you're at your weakest but you can still reframe them. Negativity bias is a form of protection. I touched on this earlier. It's a way of us, it's a way of us learning and developing is to take a negative situation and dwell on it. It's how we how we, you know, show remorse, it's how we learn from things, it's how we feel embarrassed if something's happened. But we can dwell on those things for the good or the bad. We can dwell on them and think, well, I won't do that again. I'll do this next time. Rather than play it over and over and let it gain momentum as a negative experience. So it is a form of protection, whilst it may not feel like it at the time. It's a way of us, us learning and developing from a situation. So negativity bias, and when it pops up, is actually there to protect you. It's a way of giving you the opportunity reframing a situation. And of course, everybody has done this. The more we think we can't sleep and the more we say we need to sleep, the less likely it is that we will actually ever achieve sleep. If you go to bed knowing you've got to get up early the next day, who just lies there thinking I might not hear the alarm I might not hear it. Is, it, is it alarm time yet we all do it if we know we need to sleep we tend to worry about it and then we tend to not get it it's just the way we work unfortunately so we touched last week on sleep onset latency how do these negative automatic thoughts affect sleep onset latency and if you weren't here last week what is sleep onset latency so sleep and health one of the health indicators is how long it takes you to get to sleep which is why i'm focusing so much on lying awake and those thoughts that are in your head so your sleep onset latency is basically a measure of how long it takes you to get to sleep now nobody can be entirely accurate because you don't know exactly when you go to sleep you don't pause and write it down 
but you will know if you lie awake for hours everybody knows that you will know if, if you did well you know i was there and then so and then i was fast asleep that it will probably be about 10 minutes or so you can work things out without having to have a notebook by the bed now we do should have a notebook by the bed I'll come on to that in a moment so your sleep onset latency will most definitely be affected by your thoughts and that prolonging of that time so the longer you are awake the less likely you are to enter the certain stages of sleep cycles that you need for the restorative repair sleep that we spoke about last week the physical and cognitive repair that happen in different stages of sleep the blood pressure the nocturnal dipping the things that need to happen when you sleep are less likely to happen if you have lain awake for hours with these automatic negative thoughts or any thoughts troubling and burdening you. You need to reduce the sleep onset latency to enable your body to go into a full, deep, restful and restorative sleep. So there are things we can do. Firstly, is about positive reframing and retraining during the day. That's the most important thing. Changing that inner voice is more important than anything else, not just for sleep onset latency, but for our whole health, physical and mental. If we have a negative inner voice, we, we are less optimistic. We are less happy. We are more worried. We are more stressed. Not only does it affect our sleep, but stress depletes the immune system. A negative inner voice makes us feel, it lowers our self-esteem. It makes us feel worse about ourselves. It affects practically everything. The reframing, every time you hear yourself, I can't do that. That's really bad. I'm really bad at that. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't reframe. Reframe it, reframe it, reframe it, because that is really important. Focusing our worries into actions, not in the middle of the night, not the time to be doing it, but having a notebook by the bed. And if you need to, just write them in and put in some time to actually worry about them or to action them. Schedule in some worry time. Nothing can be achieved while you lie there. If you like me and you like a list, writing it down and then just putting something by it that tomorrow I will, I will do this. This didn't go so well and I need to do this. I will do that tomorrow. And then it's done. What else can be done in the night? Nothing. So park it, file it, frame it, put it away and then try to find a way to switch off. If you really can't, if your mind is really always buzzing and you, you, you keep a notebook and you wrote things down, it doesn't help. Try a mindfulness or a relaxation download. I do find they are really good at just helping you to make that transition because it takes your thoughts into the subliminal messages and they do work if you let them if you let them in they do work and they can deeply penetrate your subconscious enabling you to drift off into sleep you may need to do it for a few weeks to if you're very sort of anti them if you're very this way right for me and lie there fidgeting and everything else it may need you may need to take a few weeks but let it when it says to imagine your breath coming in and deep and let it, when it says to relax your shoulders, do it. If it says to open your palm, do it. It's amazing the effect it has on your thoughts when you actually open your mind to enable your mind to be relaxed. And remember why we need to do it. All the physical benefits that we get from sleep can only take place when we're really relaxed. So we need to relax to enable those things to take place. Things we can do to help reduce the sleep onset latency and therefore have a better and more restorative sleep. So reducing stress and anxiety are really important. One way of doing that is obviously by reframing our thoughts, which is what tonight's all been about, reframing those automatic negative thoughts, introducing a positive voice and encouraging that positive voice to become the habitual voice. 
I am, I can, I will, I can. Really, really much more important than I can't, I don't either. We all have a different posture when we're positive than when we're negative as well. So just holding ourselves differently is really, really important. So making sure that we, as much as is physically possible for us all individually, to be as physically active as we can, because not only does it really reduce our stress and anxiety and produce the hormones that make us feel amazing, it also makes us tired, which is very important when it comes to needing to sleep. Nutrition, which is what next week is all about. So don't worry, it's not all about caffeine and stuff like that. It's all about the things that go on within the biology of the body and more about the biology of the body. Things like magnesium, which help us to feel relaxed and, and different foods that promote different hormones, which enable us to transition into relaxation. All of those nutritional influences we're going to look at next week. So it's not just about cheese and weird dreams. So, yes, here we go. Next week, how the nutritional foods and the, the, the impact of nutrition and lifestyle has on the sleep onset latency. I'm focusing on sleep onset latency. Whilst it is the time it takes you to get to sleep, it's really fundamental to the type of sleep that you have. So if you, if you lie awake for hours but still get five hours sleep, it's not as good as if you go to bed and within 10 minutes you're asleep, but you have five hours sleep. So it does make a difference. Everybody should have more than five hours. So I have no idea how people can cope with such little sleep. I need a lot of sleep myself. So I am Louise Nasir. I am the nutritional therapist. Next week, we'll be back with the third and final instalment of the sleep series. So I'm going to say goodbye for now, and I will see you soon. You've been listening to Louise's Health Kick podcast with Louise Massier, discussing all things health and nutrition to show you that food and health are intrinsically linked and teaching you how amazing you can feel. Find out more at www.thehealthkick.co.uk or read her book, How Food Shapes Your Child, or get in touch on social media. This is a 1386 audio production. 